Welcome back for Bubbers. And let me wish you and yours a very happy, peaceful, fulfilling and joyful 2023. Jack Kerouac did it for the Beat Generation with On The Road. Bridget Jones' Diary did it for Jan Xers. And authors as varied as Alex Garland, Brett Easton, Alice, Adam Silvera and Joseph Haller have at various times epitomised the generational zeitgeist. And that's what we're searching for today. The author who rings the bell for Gen Z. That's Z for Zoomers. Or maybe Generation Alpha. Those born, and I shudder to say this, from about 2010 onwards. Well, to hear tell me, assess, today's manuscripts are science writer and all-round polymath, the one and only Brian Clegg. And from ITV News, the amazing Andy Dickinson. Uh, You'll note I've saved the best for last. The Genius Room is here, and by Jiminy, they're hot today. Oh, we're straight into submission number one today. It's called Eagle Sister. Eagle Sister. First submission of 2023. Do you like that title? I'd like to know if you like that title. If you do, then you can give it some decent votes in the uh, genius room. I like that. YA Upper Historical Fantasy Adventure by Sue Two. And this is Sue's blurb. Golzera lives in a voiceless and vulnerable life. Let me start that again. Golzera lives a voiceless and vulnerable life in the harsh world of medieval Central Asia. When she discovers she can communicate with a rescued golden eaglet, she's thrust onto a perilous path where the fate of her clan lies in her hands. To survive and succeed on her journey from the heavenly mountains to the court of Genghis Khan, she must choose between her quest for power and the peace and security of a powerful first love. But can her eagle sister help her have both? Hmm. Interesting. Intriguing, almost. Uh, this is about Sue. I was a BBC TV News and Current Affairs director and producer for over 20 years before I left to set up my own video production business. Eagle Sister is my first novel. And the inspiration came from two journeys through Kyrgyzstan. How interesting that would have been. Where I travelled on foot and on horseback in the Tianshan Shan Mountains to meet and live with, with the nomad people, and in particular the golden eagle hunters. They hunt golden eagles? Why would they do that? Eat them or something? That's, that's very strange. Or maybe they use golden eagles for hunting, I don't know. Um, I've lived in yurts, visited the site of the ancient city of Balasagun, and drank fermented mare's milk in order to bring an authentic first-hand experience to the writing of these imagined ancient lives. Wow. There's a, there's a story there. And there's a story here as well. A very fine one too, because it's enhanced by being narrated by Hannah. Eagle Sister by Sue, read by Hannah. Chapter 1 Spring in the year 1215, Songku Lake, Central Asia. My hand calluses 
aligned to the knobbly ibex horn handle of my pocket knife, not the fine deer bone needles with which my cousins embroidered their wedding night dresses. The blade slices easily through the marmot's downy belly and he sighs a final breath. A lammergeier circles overhead, looking to scavenge scraps and bones, and my knife continues its work, scraping fur from flesh. I thank Mother Earth for her bounty and remind her I won't be needing a wedding night dress. No one wants a girl, 14 summers old, who can't sew or speak. I am fit only to tend the clan's sheep from dawn to dusk, making sure they grow fat on the luscious grass. Shepherding on the Jailu keeps me out of reach of mother's nagging, father's harsh hands and my cousin's vicious tongues. Here, alone on our summer pastures, at the foot of the heavenly mountains, I can escape with my horse, Meadow, into a world where I matter. I tuck the pieces of butchered meat into the front folds of my felt chaplain jacket, leaving the carcass on a rock for the hungry lammergeier. My flock bleeps peacefully as they munch their way across the juicy grass. They'll be lambing soon, and I won't get much rest when they start. So I enjoy the moment and settle into a patch of moss under a cliff face, the lichen growing rust red as it catches the afternoon sun. I grab a bunch of wild onion leaves, wrap them around a piece of marmot meat and relish the snack. A herd of ibex are also enjoying the spring grass on a nearby slope silhouetted against the vivid blue sky. On another day, I might have stalked them to take a pot shot for their valuable scimitar horns. But today, I lie back, close my eyes, and take myself into a make-believe world where I lead my army of horse archers. I am their warrior queen, and banner men to left and right watch my every move waiting for my signal to charge. I nod to my general and he shouts, Aldiga, the order to gallop. The sound of the mounted horde roars in my ears and the ground trembles from the pounding myriad hooves. I sit up at the start. The ground is actually shuddering underneath me. Meta rears, striking the air with his front hooves rolling his eyes and squealing with fear. A family of marmots appears from various holes of their burrow, whistling shrill alarm calls to each other. I stand to calm Meadow, but I'm thrown violently to my left. Just as I regain my balance, another massive jolt throws me upwards and over to the right. I fall into a gully as the ground continues to shake and judder. Only the gods can make the earth convulse like this. I reach instinctively for my amulet, sewn into the front lapel of my chapan, clutch it tightly and offer a prayer. Father Sky, Mother Earth, have I done wrong again? I promise to do better. A thunderous rumble in the cliff face triggers large chunks of rock to fall from the wall of grey and pink grass 
and I fear being crushed or engulfed alive. I crawl under an overhang and curl myself into a ball with my hands over my head. There's another massive jolt and a loud crack from the mountainside. Mother Earth, Father Sky, I beg you not to take me now. Spare me and I will do your bidding. Please, I beg. A slab of rock splits from the cliff face, topples and slides, with smaller boulders and rubble tumbling ahead of it. My stomach lurches as I flatten myself even lower under the overhang. When the main slab hits the ground, it shatters with a deafening roar, scattering fragments in a huge arc. The sound ricochets around the mountains, and then there is silence. The earth is quiet again, and I am left with a ringing in my ears and a strange but very clear thought in my head. My life is never going to be the same again. Thank you very much, Hannah, for getting us off to a good start there. Um, now, scanning the genius room, they... They go from naught to 60 in microseconds, actually. They, they don't need any warming up at all. Most extraordinary. So let me try to, uh, to summarise what's going on in the genius room. Um, take it from the top. Claire says, blurb says a lot without saying much. Mel says, strong concept that comes through well in the blurb. Title leaves me cold. Um, LA says, I thought Gulzara was the eagle sister, but the blurb implies not... Um, PJ, very credible blurb. Love the concept. Hunt with eagles. Famous photo of a girl on horseback with an eagle on her wrist. I think I, I think I've seen that actually. Um, LA says so. She's cutting into it alive. Poor thing. I think that is an issue actually. I think a lot, a lot of children will not like that. Young, young people will not like that. We can talk about that in a moment. Um, then PJ goes on to say, first sentence is confused rather than illuminates. Voice distances the reader a bit. Maybe lag from writing journalistically. That's interesting. I think you put your finger on it. Um, sounds a bit more docu than fiction. I think it does. Hannah uh, says, readership likes to read two plus ages older than themselves. So, 14-year-old protagonist is a bit young. Good advice. Needs something to happen, says Vicky. Nice scene setting, says Claire. Uh, Matt says, so I had to jump out to find that uh, Lamagui is a vulture. Not sure that's a good thing. Um, competent, says Johnny, but not really engaging. Too introspective for me. Um, Hannah, our narrator, this author can write, but in my opinion, this starts in the wrong place. We don't get much of a feel for the protagonist or the promise in the blurb. I would like to know what you think, Brian. Yeah, I, I think I agreed, frankly, with a lot of stuff that was said there. I, uh, having said that, I, I did like the title. I thought it was nice and once we heard what it was going to be about, it's nice and tight. The blurb was a little less enthusiastic. I've just read the book, Blurb Your Enthusiasm, and I would strongly recommend that for anybody who is intending to write their own blurbs. So it's written by a professional blurb writer. She's written over 5,000 blurbs. Um, wow. And it has so much good advice on making blurbs really work. What's the um, title me, again? It was just a bit blurb your enthusiasm. I like that. That's, that's very cool. How good is that? That's yeah. the title, ladies and gentlemen. That's a great title. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I highly recommend that. And one of the things I think 
she would say with respect to that blurb is probably a bit too wordy and worthy. You know, blurb really has to grab you, and that didn't really grab yeah. me in the same way. Um, and so in terms of the initial opening, as seems to be the case, there's just a bit too much in the monologue for me to start with. And I think if she started at the at the point where they, uh, you know, the, the, the horses were starting off and things were starting to go dramatic and then sort yeah. of bring herself into responding to that, the character responding to that, that might have been a better way of really immersing us. But I've given her a quite high bang score because I think once she did get into that, I thought it had quite a lot of energy uh, Good. and seemed to work well. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Brian. Andy? Uh, yeah, I also liked the title. Uh, the blurb, yeah, I did find it a little bit generic. And for me, I think when you're going to set up a sentence, she must choose between. You need an or to follow rather than two ands, which I think we had. So that's all let it down a little bit for me. Um, well done for drinking fermented myrmilk for your story. Yes. Um, yeah, wholehearted praise for that. Um, no, I, I think for me, there was just too much description in this from the off. I mean, your first paragraph with the formatting as well looks very dense so i would work at that um you're trying to get an awful lot into it i just decide between what what were the real important points you want to tell in those, those first couple of sentences rather than doing so much description so much you're trying to build the world and build the picture almost in that first paragraph and i think if you're going to do that give yourself a couple of paragraphs give us a couple of line breaks even just, just to do that. Um, you know, when you talk about settling into a patch of moss, that's nice. There's some nice kind of imagery here. I liked you said that thing about dreaming of being a warrior queen, but I then got a little bit confused because I then think you went into what her dream was and then suddenly the earthquake hits. I don't think we need that dreamy bit, but the earthquake, is, as Brian's pointed out, it adds pace. And then when you get to that final paragraph, we are with you. The action is better. Your last line, I'm not quite sure you've really warranted that with what you've given us so far. It's an earthquake. She thinks the gods might be responsible, but why she thinks her life is about to change forever, I didn't I didn't quite pick that no, up. No, I didn't I didn't either. And I think we need we need more, you know, dramatic tension than that. So you've given some some nice marks there. I'll just check Brian. Yeah, we've got Brian's marks on the genius room. Obviously is is very busy commenting and just uh, bring it up to speed. Matt says something really interesting, which I completely agree with. Actually, he said, "I really wanted to like this, and I did too. I, I like the setup. I like your research, Sue, and I feel there's something good here. Actually, um, love the idea," says Matt, "of communing with an eagle, mm. but felt I was being held at a bit of distance. Yes, there is. And what I think you're doing is, I think you're doing more telling than you need to be doing, and possibly." I mean, it's very, very common for writers to write themselves into a book. It's possible you're doing that as well. Um, this is why, this is the whole point, really, of pop-up submissions. This is why we do ask for your first 700 words, because you've got to be able to capture us. Um, you know, we give you 700 words, four or five minutes of our time and attention. You've got to involve us in that moment. And usually the best way to do that is not just general scene setting. And sometimes, you know, you get, you get writers sending submissions and talking about the weather and so on. And they need to know that in their heads, but we don't need to know it. So what I'd suggest really is a, is a, is a slightly more conventional approach, really, which is just drama. Drop us into the middle of an amazing piece of drama, high drama, and let us learn as the drama unfolds all the things that, that you've told us here. 
I want it more visceral, more immediate, more dramatic. I want it to be sucked in a bit more. Um, having said that, I do like the title. I've given you uh, four stars. I've given threes for everything else, actually, but I wanted to give you more. Um, but, you know, all, 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 all agents can do, basically, is judge on the words they've got in front of them, because that's what we sell. And at the moment, um, I'm, I wouldn't be able to sell it, so I've marked you down on that. But I think there is bags of potential. Let's look at the numbers. You got a very creditable 66. I hope you're very pleased with that, Sue. I know you're live with us now. So, bring in any thoughts, comments, or questions if you want to, and we'll try very, very hard to answer them. And straight on to submission number two. What we grow into. Oh, another interesting title, actually. Sneak preview. I've looked at all the titles today. I like them all, actually. I think they're all quite strong. What we grow into. Literary coming of age. Thank you very much, too, Sue. Thank you. Bye, Alex. What we grew into. And this is Alex Blur. Living with their pasts is difficult enough, but what are they supposed to do without a future? When Leo and his friends return home from uni, they find the world isn't at all like what they were told it would be. And as they struggle with the lack of control they have on their lives, and the traumas of their pasts begin to catch up with them, Leo has to work out what it takes to live in the world as a compassionate and responsible adult. All right. This is about you, Alex. I studied English, Lit and Creative Writing at Royal Holloway. Very impressive. And have mainly written short stories besides what we grew into, which is my debut novel. I've been writing pretty solidly for over a decade now, though I haven't submitted to competitions or publications for years. Um, so outside of a long listing for the Flash 500 Prize in 2012, I don't have much to show for myself yet. It's all right. But since finishing my novel, I've gone back to writing shorter stuff with the intention of sending that out when it's ready. Otherwise, I've been a video editor a content writer, a carer, a minute taker, and now make wire sculptures of trees. Why? <laughs> Why'd you do that? Is there a market for that? I'd love to know that. And while I'm pondering that, I think we should hear, surely not, from Emily. What We Grew Into by Alex. Read by Emily. 1. Leo Vermeulen. 20th of the 6th, 19, 8.27, M25 Junction 24, westbound, 21 years old. Peeling off the junction between Cock Foster's and Potter's Bar, sounds of the engine and the motorway droning onto the wind through Lid's window, gusts more percussive as we speed up and merge, refreshing against the morning's heat, the road opening up in front of us under a huge sky. Look across. Lid turned into the breeze, slouched against her door, scent of a perfume in the draught. Pam up front, turning her head a shade over ninety degrees, dyed blonde hair flapping against her face. Close the window now, voice cracking a little, over the wind, turn to look out my side, let morning fatigue and the sun's liquid glare off the tarmac close my eyes. I don't want to get travel sick. Then don't look out your window, we've got air conditioning. Eyes drifting open. Trees and shrubs and spindly-stemmed white flowers on the embankment, all blurring together. Occasional patches of slanted brick grids where the ground's gone bare and arid. Pam's right, let's not start the day off on the wrong foot, eh? 
shirt and jacket clinging around my armpits, discreet sniff, a little of antiperspirant, that's all. Let it be sunny, but let there be a breeze. Let me be on my toes, but not have to intervene. Please let her parents behave at their daughter's graduation. Prayers to nothing. Jesus, Yahweh, Allah, Vishnu, trees, embankment, bricks, M25, westbound, fine. Whir of the window closing, sudden cut off of the wind. Turn to find lids staring at her feet, feel a hot prickle in my cheeks. Looking up at me, giving me a weary smile, reach out a hand and she takes it, squeeze. Her blue eyes so tired and pretty in the summer light, mouthing, I love you. Drift through the groups milling about the cusps of gazebos, parents and relatives, making friends with other parents and relatives. Catch snippets of the conversations as I go. Begin to recognise in a few the strange feeling I'm coasting on. An older man in a three-button suit, looking over and beyond to the quad. A mum staring as graduates trickle from the stairs, absently patting the hand of a teenage girl who complains about a phone's camera. A young boy clinging onto his dad's leg, gazing up at the grand building's walls. The canopy in his hand forgotten, smeared on the dad's trousers. Summer breeze weaving the pockets of families, rippling my shirt. Waiters floating past, strong perfume in their wake. Take two glasses of champagne from one who accepts my thanks and disappears into a stream of passing graduates, led with the champagne and work through the crowd, till I spot Lid posing with her friend, Aisha, for a guy about our age with short gelled hair and his phone out. Drift over. The guy's shirt bunches around a slight paunch as he changes angles, my own shirt damp under the arms. Lid and Aisha laughing as they strike poses, some knowingly ridiculous, some pretty, in my peripheries the sun refracting through wine glasses. Lid noticing me, smiles, says my name. I brought you champagne. Oh, wow, ditched the rents too, I see. Lid, I didn't ditch them. I know, I didn't mean. Aisha laughing in a way that might be cruel. I don't know. Leo, mate, that's not champagne. I mean, they want you to think it is, but... Lids, you had a look at the diploma they gave us. It's literally a form to donate money to them. Fuck off, no way. All laughing, phone guy included. Feel myself flushing as Lid opens her scroll, reacts. But then she looks up at me, introduces the camera guy as Aisha's fiancé, Hiran, who kisses Aisha on the cheek and she pushes him away. Say hi and shake his hand and think, fiancé? So glad that's over. Aisha fanning herself with her mortar board, looking over the crowd, Lid looking at her in a way that annoys me, saying she is too. Feel I could say something but don't. Instead, just stand there and half smile. Hi, and I've got good news. That is the first of two readings today from Emily. So look for, looking forward to the second one very much indeed. Let's see what the genii, or no, geniuses, equally good, both of those plurals. Let's see what they are saying. Um, opening his all voice, which is good, says Matt. Not catching the story, though. Um, who's the target audience, says Hannah. This feels adult rather than moyen. It does, and that is a bit of an issue um, for me, at least commercially. Um, Annie says there's a nice dreamlike quality to it, but I'd like to get a better sense of what's going on. And there is absolutely, I think there is. I think it's it's literary basically, and it's 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 interesting. Um, Claire says staccato style, interesting. Really like the writing, says Jan. I'm there. And I says why some dialogue lines in italic? Uh, and James says yes, literary, but um, that's you read my mind actually. Yeah. Um, 
Pamela Joe, very posh students. We drank plonk out of bottles. I thought that's what students did to actually. Emily, I like the writing on narrator, of course, uh, though perhaps with the stylization it would read better than narrated. But I'd read on to see where it goes. Um, Annie says, and this is after her first comment, no idea what it's about, but I like it. Would like to know what it's about, though. Um, and Johnny says, Johnny feels it's joycey and actually interesting, making the story opaque. It's very stream of conscious, says uh, Hannah, which is fine. But we still need progression of story. And Claire says, I'm a little lost. And you can kind of expect that, you know, if the story doesn't kick in, which is not for her. Um, you need to stop reading Ulysses, says Pamela Joe to Johnny. <laughs> and Matt says, without a story to hang on to, I'm losing track of who is who. Did you lose track at all, Andy? I, I, I saw it did. I don't, didn't want to. And I, I really don't want to be unkind about this submission because I think it's got some beautiful things going mm. on in it. It is. Um, I think overall, what, what the, uh, someone said in dreamlike in the, in the chat room, and I agree with that, but I think sadly for me, that's versus patience testing. Yeah. Um, starting from the top, I, I think it's a nice title and I love the way your title connects with the blurb. The blurb itself was ringing some alarm bells to me because I didn't really think until the last sentence I really got a, a picture of what your book was about. And though that opening sentence about past without a future, you, you need, I just, and this is what I mean about I want to be kind because you could be bordering on pretension with something like that unless mm. it's really going to stand up. Mm. Someone, you know, some cynic like me is going to turn around and say, mm, yeah, but isn't it just a little bit pretentious? And mm. with your the story you're writing about, you know, students coming out of university, moving into adulthood when, mm. you know, some of the people they went to school with just didn't do university and grew up. Well, I was properly pretentious at that age. So I think it's sort of, there's a reason for it in, in, you know, in what you're giving us. And there's a, there's a genuineness in that as well. So I do sort of want to protect it. But at the same time, you know, and then stuff like that, sun's liquid glare off the tarmac, um, you know, let me be on my toes, but not uh, intervene. There's just some beautiful bits of language and prose in this, but together with the formatting and the, I'm not quite sure what tense it's in and the, the general poetic structure of it, I found it sort of impenetrable to a degree. So that, mm. that put me off. Yeah, yeah. And Jeannie, I say, I'm finding this writing style very frustrating, says LA. I'd have stopped reading, sorry. Um, um, yeah, Matt echoes that. Without a story to hang on to, I'm losing track of who's who. Arbonnet says, I'm not getting who the main character is. And Alec says, has the author replaced every eye with an M dash? <laughs> I like M dashes, actually. The big dashes, not those little dashes. Um, Brian. Yeah, um, I mean, the first point that did occur to me is we've already heard really, is this really YA? Um, is there even mm. such a thing as literary YA, to be honest? I mean, I've never ever read a YA book that was really literary, I mean, mm. to this extent. Yeah. Um, and those, those descriptive sections, I mean, to start with, I like them, the first page or so. But by the end, I was thinking, is the whole book going to have these N-dash sections, jerky little yeah. bits in between? Because after a while, I, I find it quite wearing, even in, by the end of the section we had. If it's going to go like that through the whole book, I just could, I could go with it, and I, I can't imagine a younger, you know, younger adult audience coping with it. But there's, there's some nice stuff there. You know, I did I did like 
uh, you know, some of the feel of it. I even I didn't like that little introduction at the start where it's positioned it on the M25, except are they really on the M25 juncture driver? Surely they're not. I mean, you don't have a post-graduation ceremony on Junction 14 of the M25 or whatever it was. But uh-huh. I did like that, that little detail, you know. Yeah, and Hannah says uh, there's there's a, a, a disagreement in the genius room, which rarely happens actually. But unanimity is not broken out. And Hannah says, "I remember the students' union. That's from her university hiring out boxes of wine glasses. We didn't drink straight from bottles. Okay, wine." And PJ says, "I suppose separate piece in Holden Caulfield. Yeah, that's right. Was sold as YA in my youth. Didn't really find them." So did love granny, uh, Franians, I would be Granians, Granians, I, um, yes, I know, it was Franny. Um, that's what everyone's looking for, um, Alex, it's the, um, it's the defining novel for a generation, actually, and lots of different novels, different times have claimed that, but it's a wonderful way to, to sell, you know, a new, new manuscripts and a new novel to a publisher it's just great actually so if, if you deliver something like that you'll get every publisher in town and every agent in town wanting it because it's got enormous commercial potential however and you know and, and you're not too far away actually but however if you come in and say this is literary coming of age the literary word makes you know half the people in town go oh dear <laughs> you know we're going to sell 100 copies of that so it's it's a question of packaging and presentation. I would urge you to, you know. To Can I just this. add on? on yeah, do. On yeah, that yeah. Point, there, there, there were elements of this that sort of now you've said it, they sort of remind me a bit of Generation X by Douglas Copeland. Yeah. The, the way and he sort of played with formatting and writing as well. So you could maybe look at that as a as a as a way to sort of make that more palatable. That's a good way, idea. Like. That's a very good idea. Absolutely. Let's look at the numbers. And everyone has voted. <clears throat> and you got a 61 there. you got a 61 there. Um, maybe think about it. Uh, it'd be, uh, yeah, beautiful. Um, that was the word uh, used all the time. Beautiful prize. Maybe just think about slightly repositioning it, I think, Alex. Hopefully. Now, we got one or two uh, YouTube comments, didn't we? So, do you want to just give me one or two of those? Um... I think this is from, yeah, that's from Sue. That's that's fine. Thank you, Sue, and thank you very much for being so polite. Um, I've received feedback before that I launched into the action too quickly. That is the author's dilemma. You know, you listen to somebody and they say something. You listen to somebody else and they say the other thing. You've just got to st- tell the story that's the strongest in your heart, really. Um, that's why I spent more time scene setting. Okay, so... You've heard what we've said. Most importantly, you've, you've got the reaction of the genius room, which is what no one else can give you. It's like sentiment, live sentiment analysis, okay? So, yeah, I know you're watching us live, but watch the recording, stop it, read everything that the genii are saying, and you will see certain common themes are coming through. And my feeling is that what they say counts for a lot more than maybe for, you know, what other random people say. Um, that's my best advice to you. I think we want to see what Brian Clegg is up to. Oh, okay, you didn't. Oh, you didn't. All right. Well, uh, who? Uh, this again. Lots of feedback from our authors today, which I love and encourage. Who was the audience then? I've been inter- interested. Now. Let us know who the audience is, Alex, because um, that's that's quite a deal, actually. Let's see what Brian Clegg is up to. Brian, there you are, looking all literary on your lair. Um, you're you're a busy guy. You've got 
websites galore. Let's look at this one for a moment, shall we? Popular Science Co. UK. This is one of the many enterprises that you as a polymath do. Tell us about it, please. Well, to be honest, I, I started writing nonfiction because I just love reading popular science books. Uh, I've now extended it to include science fiction, this review site, because that's another thing I enjoy reading. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I first started as an author, every author you know, needs a website, right? But frankly, who's going to look at your website? I thought if we can go for something that is covering the kind of area I'm covering, but in a broader uh, viewpoint, and that's been going, goodness, I think 15 years now. Wow. Um, yeah. And the idea is really, you know, this, like any topic, these days reviews are hard to come by. Uh, you know, the big newspapers hardly cover yeah. any books at all anymore. Yeah. Um, and publishers are having to find other ways to get uh, reviews. Uh, so I think it, it's an interesting thing to do. I love doing it, but also I think it's a valuable resource for people. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. I want to ask you. Um, about the thing that um, is is frightening a lot of authors at the moment, um, Chat GPT, right? Mm. So this is being hailed yeah. as the thing that's going to make um, writers obsolete. Um, what are your views on it? Uh, I think in some ways it's more worrying for university uh, uh, people marking essays at universities um, because. That, that level of writing, it's not bad. Uh, you know, I, I've spoken to people at, at universities who are genuinely worried that people are going to just turn in paragraphs that have been generated by this yeah. system. It yeah. tends to generate about a paragraph at a time. And some of them look quite good when you compare them with a, you know, first-year university essay. But out of interest, I tried it on a couple of sort of popular science issues. It got both of them quite seriously wrong. Uh, really? So... Yeah, one was technically wrong, the other was historically wrong. Uh, so, yeah, certainly, I, I, from my viewpoint, I'm not too worried. And if you say it's attempts at writing poetry, uh, poets definitely have nothing to worry about. <laughs> okay, um, good. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Uh, but as I say, I, I think genuinely universities are going to have to start thinking are essays, certainly at the low level, you know, the first year university yeah. level, really worth having anymore with yeah. this kind of technology. So I read this, this piece on the Atlantic, because it's all over the place at the moment, chat, chat GPT. Um, it, it really ringing the alarm bells, actually, by, I think it was, I think it was actually a lecture, saying exactly the same thing as you've just said, that, you, you know, every student all over the world now will be using chat GPT to do their, their um, essays and so on. Um, but going further and saying that it's actually going to make all writers, you know, out of date and obsolete and so on. And I started thinking, and then he gave some examples. And I, I read some of them and I thought, this isn't very good writing. You know, send some of that into pop-ups. You're not going to get a very good score. But still, the hype is there. So then I did a bit more digging around and guess what I saw in the Wall Street Journal? Chat GPT creator is talking to investors about wow. selling shares at $29 billion. Okay. So, it, it just call me cynical. Maybe I'm an old cynic, but I think this is hype. I think it's just good old-fashioned hustle, actually. It's about making enormous amounts of money for venture capitalists. And I, I mean, I don't know. Do you think I'm right? Well, I think you can't underestimate it as a piece of technology. It is brilliant. Uh, if you play with it, you know, if you, you can ask it, I mean, I, I asked it 
to write a sonnet about quantum entanglement, and it did. Oh, and it did it. Um, <laughs> it, it, it yeah, I mean, it wasn't too, too bad. The poetry was was not great, but uh, you know, it really is very clever. It can answer mm. practically anything you ask it. It's just unfortunately, uh, as I say, in terms of looking to my kind of field, certainly, yeah. it, it got a lot wrong. Where does he get his data um, from? Does it? Do you, do you happen to know? Or is this all proprietary? Does it sort of go out there on the internet and absorb stuff and then just sort of patch it together? Yeah, it, it certainly is straight from the internet. I don't honestly right. know how they distinguish, distinguish yeah. good sources from bad. You know, or well, that's the thing because otherwise you're going to get you know racist and all kinds of you know, garbage spewed back, aren't you? Really, it's going to have to have some filters in place. But it's, it's definitely worth a play. I really recommend. You know, it's free. You can go and have a go with it. I would really recommend having a it's play. It's free for it. the moment until they get twenty nine billion dollars. Yeah, fine. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Brian. <laughs> and here we go. Submission number three. It's called the Vessel of Light. Oh, it's nice. We've got um, a QR code there, which means that there's a, an author website, so you can scan that and go straight to it. YA fantasy slash adventure from Leslie Ann Tompkins. Leslie Ann, this is your blurb. Lily longs for an adventure she can never have. Fated to reside behind a magical wall that conceals her and the rest of the cowardly clan of sicklers. That is, until she meets Vincent, a berserker who comes from a clan that's infamously known for their brutality and violence. The two unlikely friends are forced to flee, however, when tragedy befalls the sicklers. As Lily struggles to cope with her new situation, she's forced into making a fatal decision that changes their lives forever. I tell everyone about you, Leslie Ann. Um, I first began writing 17 years ago when I was 14, which makes you 31, I think. Which is young for a, for a writer still. Mainly stories about animals who were filled with many grammatical errors and were just bad overall. Okay, well. You don't need to criticise your own work. Lots of other people would do that. Um, I kept at it, and one day I began writing books that contained magic and fantasy. I enjoy the freedom of using my imagination. Writing's a passion of mine, and I'm always willing to learn slash improve. For my Vessel series, so it's a series, interesting, I wanted to create a world filled entirely with my own creations containing no humans, just anthropomorphic beings known as beasts. I'm a 31-year-old female diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, living in England. I look forward to all critiques. Thank you for taking a look at what I've written. And thank you, Mel, for delivering a stunningly good reading. The Vessel of Light, written by Ellie Tompkins, read by Mel. Part 1, Lily. Prologue. He was going to die. They were near. He could smell them, hear them as their paws pounded against the muddy earth, their voices echoing into the night. He ran. Blood. The bleeding would not stop, could not stop. He didn't care. They would find him eventually. He knew this, for he was one of them, a monster, a brutal being that thrives on violence, death, and disaster. This was just another game to them, a hunt, and he was the prey. Fighting back was not an option anymore. Neither was running. It was futile. Yet he was not running to survive. He would not give them the satisfaction of seeing him die. If he could not stop them from finding his body, at least he could take some of the amusement from them. 
They pride themselves on glory. They would get none tonight. So he ran, ran until their voices became dull. He stumbled against a tree, a paw held out against it to keep himself upright. It did not help. He slid down the trunk, collapsing onto the muddy ground. The bleeding continued. It was not long now, not long until it would all be over. He closed his eyes and waited. Chapter 1. Fourteen-year-old Lily was sitting on her bed, her legs dangling over the side, with her favorite book lying open on her lap. Her black, furred, triangular-shaped ears were pointed towards the book as though they could hear the printed words, and her large, round brown eyes darted across the pages, enthusiastically waiting to get to her favorite part. She was so engrossed in reading that she did not hear her father knocking. Without waiting for an answer, he opened the door, startling his daughter, who dropped her book, which hit her wooden bedroom floor. She stifled a groan. She'd forgotten. Her father routinely visited her room around this time in the afternoon. He opened her door without waiting for her permission, despite her countless requests for him not to do that. Lily pushed herself off the bed and picked up her book. Yes, Dad, everything's fine, she told him. Moving aside her small black tail to avoid sitting on it, she sat back on her bed. Her father's eyes fell upon the book she was holding, or rather, the book cover. His black rounded ears, which were alert and rigid, relaxed after seeing the book's title. Ah, reading that again, I see, he asked, looking pleased. The cover was not for the book she was reading. She swapped them years ago, knowing her family, even her clan, would not approve of what was written on the pages. The title read, Don't Exist and Survive. Lily let out a half-hearted smile, wishing for her dad to leave so she could continue. Of course, she replied. Gotta know how to stay quiet and hidden. She wanted to read. She wanted to read. She wanted to... Good, good. So what part are you at? Lily's smile vanished, her ears falling flat against her head. The book her father thought she was reading was sitting somewhere in her room gathering dust. She'd not read it in years. She let out a long... Mm, hoping to think of a convincing lie, when she was spared from having to answer by her little sister, bounding into the room. I found it, Lily, she squeaked, holding up a white t-shirt for her to see. Lily's ears returned to their upright position. She slipped from her bed, placed her book on her duvet, and walked over to her little sister, Erin. She thanked her before turning to her father and mocking him for, once again, mixing up their clothes. Seriously, Lily finished, Erin is a foot smaller than me. How do you keep getting this wrong? Aaron giggled as their father began helplessly to explain the mix-up, thankfully forgetting his question. Lily smiled despite desperately wanting to finish her favorite book. You gonna sing with us later? Aaron asked her sister excitedly. Lily replied with a long, uh, unable to resist the temptation to tease her little sister, who began pouting impatiently. Thank you, Leslie Ann. I think you got a pretty good reaction there from the uh, genie. Annie is still talking about uh, what, what everyone drank in college. and I, I can't pronounce this thing, Annie. Actually, I think it's, it's uh, Spanish. You'll have to coach me on that. Kelly, uh, Kelly Mushto or something like that. Red wine and Coke. I've never heard of that, but it just it makes me bilious. Actually, oh. just think, red, have you heard of it? Oh, man, same for you, isn't it? Is it? Oh, God. Apparently it's, so. it's, I mean, oh, <laughs> not good. Total, I mean, hangover before you drink it, just looking at it. Um, so, <laughs> my says, obviously, the first use is always porn for any new tech. 
Oh, I don't know if ChatGPT is going to that. Um, blurb. Let's get on to uh, to work, guys. Barbara says, Blurb could do with a trim of excess words. Make it snappier. Blurb's interesting, says LA. Annie, solid blurb. Uh, title sounds religious to me, says Jan. Yeah, it's got a slightly religious overturn to me, too, but I don't, mind, don't find that too bad. Uh, Matt says, Blurb seems a bit dandy. Hmm. Hadn't thought about that. Great first line, says Annie. Vicky, fantastic, straight in the action. Um, a brutal being, not sure about that line, says Annie. Feels telly. Uh, Hannah says, good writing, engaging. PJ, pretty standard for fantasy YA, but first paragraph is more interesting than the title of blurb. Maybe have another look at the first contact um, the reader has with your voice. Strong opening paragraph, says Matt. James jumps right in the action, makes me want to turn the page. I like the writing, says Annie. Feels polished. And Barbara's good, engaging, intense start. I like. Great opening, says Jan Hannah. Some sentences a little long. Overall, I like the writing. Annie um, let out a smile. Don't know what that means. Often I don't understand what the junior I mean because I'm not as intelligent as they are. Um, Hannah says, this is an example of where the prologue really worked for me. It's a minority of occasions when that happens, but it certainly can do. Uh, nicely written, says LA. Uh, Labouring the point a bit. James likes this. Am I just a kid at heart? Yes, that's the answer. You are. Um, and uh, there's a discussion about trends that... Uh, too much mentioning the ears, says Annie. So much good comment here. Pamela Joe, all the animal descriptions are not really convincing. Maybe use a lighter brush there, but then PJ is an animal expert herself. Actually, just like Hannah, in fact. Um, some of this could be cut, says Claire. We're moving through the manuscript now. Vicky Prologue, exciting. Wondering about... Uh, wondering about after that. Mel says, strong writing. Prologue was really good. Contrast the first chapter, um, bit jarring. And Johnny is talking about red wine and coke. It sounds grim. It probably got a name. Mm -hmm. Red Peril. Yes, that's what it is. It's Red Peril. What did you think, Brian? Uh, well, uh, I like the title. Um, it slightly rem reminded me of, of a Pentangle album, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> Pentangle? I, I, I that's the 1940s, yeah, is it? <laughs> 1970s, come on. Frankly, right. um, I, I agree. But I very rarely like prologues, but actually this one did really work. Um, mm. It was very helpful. And I actually quite like the contrast going from the, you know, the really quite gripping prologue to this very mundane feeling uh, opening to the first chapter. Uh, you know, I actually quite like that move. Um, there was one very tiny detail that just struck me in passing. She refers to the the title of this book that has the fake, fake cover on and i didn't know whether the title was of the real book or the cover uh, and oh. it became obvious a little later but at the time i wasn't sure yeah. um, the only thing i didn't like really too much was it feels in incredibly anthropomorphic in the sense that you know this is clearly not human beings and yet they've mm. got duvets and books and you know everything is just like normal except these furry creatures or whatever instead of people uh, yeah. i'd like it in some way a slightly more different environment uh, than it appeared to be but it shook me a bit when uh, when we uh, saw that our um our protagonist has got a tail and that hmm. I, I went oh she's a cat <laughs> uh, she's not quite a cat but yeah it, it I, I don't know when it's difficult when you introduce that actually because i think you want you know, you want us to get fully embedded and invested in, in, in the protagonist, but then it's the differences that go, hmm, really, what? Hmm. Challenging. What did you think, Brian? Yeah. Or even Andy. Hello, oh, sorry. Andy. 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 Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like the title. I like the blurb. You mentioned the Berserker. I love Berserkers. I haven't mm-hmm. read anything about a Berserker in ages. So, yeah, bring that on. That'll be fun. Um, the, I think there's a lot of things that are working in this well. Um, one thing I think that is working is the juxtaposition between your very sort of stark, uh, you know, hunt, blood, monsters prologue and then the sort of comfortable dad walks in on daughter reading the book that she's not meant to be reading kind of thing. Um, I think both of them, for my liking, just need working up a little bit more. I do think the prologue's good, but I just, overall, I just didn't think it was really quite strong enough to to, to be worthy of its place. But you did create an atmosphere, you did create a sense of adventure and, and, you know, a, a scared character who might be on the cusp of dying, etc. And if that character is cat girl on the bed reading a book then all to be better yeah there'll there'll be pictures of those working for me i wouldn't say it completely worked for me but but yeah i i I marked it pretty strongly i thought it was good it's it's moving the right direction isn't it and i think you you definitely can can write leslie and let's have a look at the numbers here 67 wow you're you're the show in so far actually uh in fact let's look at the numbers shall we uh i'm pretty sure you are in the lead there Yes, you are. I've got a comment from uh, Katie Allen on uh, YouTube. Likeable, but disconcerting. Goes from drama thriller and the prologue to the domestically whimsical. Is it Company of Wolves? Is it Planet of the Puppy Apes? What what mystery and weirdness? Always profoundly wise comments there from Katie Allen. Thank you very much for that. Let's look at our next submission today. Submission number four. And it's called Chance and the Cryptids. Cryptids. Not crypto. I don't hear about that anymore, do we, really? Chance and the Cryptids, Coming of Age, by Catherine. And there's a QR code there, too, for Catherine's website, or wherever she wants to send you, actually. This is Catherine's blurb. Chancery Chance O'Connor. There's a young woman who's fascinated by stories of the supernatural. From the age of 10 to the age of 23. Through the hardship she encounters in life, most prominently the death of her father when she's 12, Chance is always able to use her imagination as a source of comfort and strength. Okay, doesn't quite go far enough for me, not quite, but let's, let's hear about you. Um, Catherine, and you are very, very short. Uh, I'm 34-year-old EFL teacher, and I've previously self-published six books on Amazon Kindle, and that is that. Fine, I understand, um, and I'm delighted to say this is the second coming today of uh, the uh, the person who's in charge of our team of narrators, actually a lot more besides. It's Emily. Chance and the Cryptids by Catherine, read by Emily. Cryptid. Pronunciation, cryptid. Noun, an animal whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated, such as the yeti. Introduction When I was nine, I believed in all kinds of things. That was the age when it happened, for some reason. It hadn't really been an issue when I was, say, five. There just hadn't seemed to be as much stuff to believe or disbelieve in. Well, there was magic, I guessed. But after the fifth time you wish upon a star for the ability to breathe underwater then rush eagerly to the nearest swimming pool, only to find that you still have to come up for breath every twenty seconds. You quickly come to realise that Jiminy Cricket is full of it. The stuff when I was nine was different. Ghosts, werewolves, vampires, aliens, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, the lot. 
I believed in them wholeheartedly. Sure, I'd never actually seen any of them, but I'd never seen the Statue of Liberty either, and people didn't go around not believing in that. No, to me there was no doubt whatsoever. The fantastic existed, hidden right in the middle of the mundane, and if you looked hard enough and kept your wits and your imagination about you at all times, you could find it. Despite all that, when Ashlyn Pritchard showed us her paper fortune teller and told us it could predict the future, I didn't believe her straight away. For a start, I'd just watch her make it. She'd cut a sheet of paper into a square, folded all the corners into the centre, twice, worked her fingers into the folds to make them into points, and then unfolded it a bit so she could write things on it. None of it had looked particularly mystical to me, but Ashlyn was adamant. Her paper thingy could tell us our futures. We all knew it and the only reason we didn't want to try it out was that we were all scared. It was wet break, which meant that we were stuck in the classroom for a quarter of an hour. In theory, Mr Thomas, our class teacher, was supposed to be keeping an eye on us, but in practice he'd gone off to fetch something from the staff room at the start of the break, and hadn't been seen since. This left twenty-seven nine-year-olds in a tiny room full of temptation, and, as you might expect, two of the boys were at the blackboard, engaged in writing rude words giggling, and then quickly rubbing them off in case Mr Thomas came back. Tamara Martin was standing nearby, looking outraged and threatening to tell, and occasionally shooting baleful looks to the rest of us for not helping her in her moral crusade. Over by the fire exit, a group of girls were daring each other to run out in the rain, and, at the table nearest the main door, me and my friends were drawing on scrap paper, or at least we had been, until Ashlyn had made her announcement. Chance, she said, holding her paper or thing under my nose. You want to know your future, right? You can find out whether or not you get to marry Brian from East 17. I don't like Brian from East 17, I said, backing away from Ashlyn, so that she didn't break my nose by mistake. She was waving the paper fortune teller around like America. Ashlyn could get very boisterous when she was excited. So you want to make sure that you don't have to marry him, right? Come on. I don't. Mm, you're not allowed to cut up the paper. Shut up, Tamara. Come on, Chance, it'll see into your soul. She stretched out the word, trying to sound like Mystic Meg. You're such a liar, Ashlyn, said Christine, throwing down her pen in a show of annoyance. Christine, who considered herself to be the sensible one of our group, and often told us so, disbelieved in things like paper fortune tellers on principle. She didn't believe in ghosts either. Last month, I tried to organise a stake out of the school toilets, which were said to be haunted by a former teacher who'd been killed by a falling tile and Christine had been the only one who wouldn't join in. She also told me that she'd asked her mum, who was a teacher at the school, and she told her the story about the falling tile wasn't true. I still hadn't properly forgiven her for that. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, actually. Um, And as always, Ginny, I way ahead of me. Um, but they, they're talking about the voice there, and I, th- I think there's an interesting, quiet voice going on. Let's see what else they're saying. Um, they don't like your blurb at all, actually, and I, I think I think you need some work on that. I haven't marked you down on that. I ought to have done really to be savage and hard and heartless about it, but I haven't. I've just given you kind of average mark for the blurb. But Hannah says blurb makes the story feel banal. I hope it's not. Oh, but it does not feel like a blurb. James says no sense of story in the blurb. Then Annie is the first to pick pick this up. Actually, she says engaging voice and uh, Annie's antennae are functioning very well. I like the voice, says LA as well. A times as well. Use of introduction seems more academic than novelistic. Small point, but worth. Uh, 
noting Hannah says, voices immediately engaging. And Pamela Jo says, sounds like a woman's to go. That is an in-joke. No one else will understand that, uh, apart from a few privileged people. Uh, James says, this is all telling. No story. And he says, feels like a real person. Great so far. I agree with that. Oh, Bernard, but you can see an image video of the Statue of Liberty. Thus, it does exist. Well, that raises a separate sort of uh, issue, a really perceptual issue, doesn't it? And he, uh, Thomas says, double spaces after full stops. An error I had to paint for a fix in my own manuscript. You can do search and replace, can't you? Uh, now, says Hannah, this is a good YA voice. And Jan says, perfect marriage of reader and story. I love this setup. Mel says, I remember those paper thingies. This is a very strong voice for YA. Yeah, bandwagon is moving. The snowball is rolling downhill. Claire says, I like the idea of, of wet break shenanigans. I, no, I'm not going to comment on that. Pamela Jo says, girls are still using those paper things. That's cool. Um, and... Hannah says, reminds me of Carolina Donahue's All Our Hidden Gifts. Good writing, says Vicky. I love the authentic dialogue, says R. Burnett. I'm giving this four marks, says Hannah, for Craft and Bank. I buy this book. That's what we want. We want that reaction. Um, and he says, isn't I not too young for YA? Good point. But I imagine she'll get older. Are they nine or did I misread that? I would read on, says Jan. I enjoy this LA, well written, would have read on. Credible stuff, says Eva. And coming from Eva, that is praise indeed. This is really good, says Annie. Can tell the author has written six books. This was strong, says Matt. Well done, but fix that blurb. Emily Underrated, like the voice, sort of like something supernatural straight up, though. Uh, is it normal to start with introduction rather than chapter one, says LA, if you want to. Not a great title, says Johnny. If you're inventing something, make it reader friendly. Liked the submission, though. I'm going to stop there and see what Andy thinks. Yeah, this was great, wasn't it? Um, I didn't much love the title, but then I didn't know what a cryptid was. And then when you told me it could be a Yeti, I got excited. Um, yeah, the blurb really doesn't doesn't tell us much, so you definitely need to work on that. But yeah. generally, when I'm doing this, I, I make double ticks when I like something. And yours is the first submission today where I've been making double ticks. Uh, the, the, the thing about wishing wishing on a star and then rushing over to the bath because you, know, you want to be able to breathe underwater, I just think that was so beautifully told, such mm. a funny little anecdote, and I expected it to kind of like not not keep that kind of level, but it but it really did. I love the voice, I love the wit in it. It came across as kind of like school kid humour, you know, bright like falling in love with Brian from East Seventeen, the paper thingy. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was all really, really good. Emma, Emily read it beautifully. Um, she did. But, you know, Emily reads most things beautifully. That, yeah. But, but it's still, it, was a, it was like a perfect mix in a way. It was a great voice for, for your script as well. But, yeah, I, I thought it was great. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Andy. Brian? I certainly agree uh, with everybody. The author's voice come through very well. Uh, the title was the one I'm least enthusiastic about so far today, mm. just because the word cryptids, uh, partly because it too reminiscent uh, on Mrs. Triffids, uh, even though I know yeah. what it meant. But yeah. also, it, it just feels a little bit obscure. Um, mm. The chance and the, I think, was really nice opening for the title. I just wanted a different word at yeah. the end there. Uh, yeah, again, I, I think the blurb was sadly lacking, frankly. And, yeah. uh, really, really do read <laughs> Blurb Your Enthusiasm because you, you could make yeah. some. Um, yeah, the only reason I've not been so enthusiastic on the actual content side was that I, like somebody else, uh, uh, a couple of people in the 
genius room. First of all, I wasn't sure if young ad- a young adult audience would relate to nine-year-olds. Uh, it's an age when you're very sensitive about your age. Um, and, you know, having a story where the central character is nine feels a little, uh, you know, I've, I've grown out of that. I don't want that anymore. So I was slightly worried about that. If, if this is intended to be young adult. And the other thing was uh, that it did feel it, there was a bit too much talent, not enough show. It would be nice if they got into the dialogue a bit earlier. So the, the, she described the dialogue rather than mm. having the dialogue. Um, I would have just liked it a little bit more active earlier on. I agree. Uh, one no, of the strengths is dialogue. Was good. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. Let's just uh, thank you, Brian. Um, paper fortune tellers they're talking about. Um, I prefer the title. Yeah, this is a good one, actually, L.A. Thomas. I prefer the title, Once We Were Told What Cryptid Is. That's right. So we want you to work on the on the title. We want you desperately work on the blurb as well. It's a free blurb seminar inside uh, Latopia, too. Um, Mel says, agree with Andy. Emily's voice it does bring something special to every reading. And Lex says, it's very, very quiet today. There's Lex. I love cryptids, she says. I play cars with them, with them all on Tuesdays. Mothman is a class act. Thank you for beaming in for a different dimension there, Lex. Big question is at his point, paper fortune tellers. Um, an R Barnett. No, use of the word cryptids, yeah. Hannah, I think the author could really bump up the age. This easily works for 14 plus readership. Totally agree with that. It's so nice to, to get a submission where there is there is a voice, and we've all detected that. And so often, you know, a voice gets sort of bred out of you, or um, people don't understand the importance of voice. So. Good for you, Catherine. Um, let's have a look at the numbers and see if our enthusiasm is reflected in that. And you've got a 66 so far, have you? Has everyone voted, I wonder? They have voted, they have voted. So I thought you'd be roaring to the lead with that, but you know what's happened? It's the title and it's the blurb. It's like you're down. I'm sorry about that, but we've got to give you marks on what we see and that's what you got. But I hope you're happy with the feedback. You've got lots of great uh, comments there. We are now going to look at the very final submission of the day, which comes from Ryan. It's MG, young adult slash adult fantasy. That covers, covers all the bases, just about, apart from picture books. Uh, Ghosts of the Five Realms, though. Colon, the rabbit, and the drike. Is that a drike? No, I think it's a drike there. Um, this is Ryan's blurb. Ghosts of the Five Realms is a dark medieval fantasy about the body, mind and heart of an unwilling sacrificial warrior who learns to depend on an unlikely group of friends based on the life experiences of a modern warrior. All right. This is about about you, Ryan. I'm a former United States Marine, OAF veteran, a veteran and current police officer. Until recently, I had no interest in writing. After a brief conversation with a friend on the topic of novels we were interested in, I decided to try my hand. Good. Uh, it was something I'd never considered, but was suddenly excited about the challenge. I set a time frame and decided to see where my imagination took me. I've learned a lot. And even though I never considered it any more than a challenging hobby, I'm now too far in to let it fall to the wayside. I'm hooked. <laughs> Help! That's a help. I, yes, I know it, it gets you like that. I live with my family in a small town just outside Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, USA. I'm an avid runner, musician, bourbon enthusiast. Hope you don't mix it with red wine and coke and stuff. And dabble in knife making. 
now I've completed a manuscript I'm proud of. And I think you're going to be proud of this reading from Johnny. Ghosts of the Five Realms, The Rabbit and the Drake, by Ryan D. Grant, read by John. Prologue Rich, dark blood dripped from the razor-sharp point of his blade. It ran slowly and thick. He recovered his nerve, caught his breath, and used his bare hand to wipe the gore from the otherwise glimmering weapon. He flicked the steamy mess from his fingertips indiscriminately onto the forest floor. A kish isn't a terrible threat to a ranger, but they are agile and highly intelligent. They are clever problem solvers, they behave in a manner which would suggest they understand reason in their own primal way. The hunter needs proper planning, patience and endurance. The creature's large double mandible twitched defensively as the remaining signals from its brain fired for the last time. The ranger couldn't help but admire its muscular form and armoured scales which blended perfectly into this environment. It was evidence to him that an all-knowing god must have intelligently designed everything in nature. However, this perfect killer was also evidence of a great, dark, evil force capable of corrupting anything it touched. The ranger's armour was easily identifiable by multi-layers of leather and mail. It was well worn and had suffered many marks and gashes from battle. Those gashes matched scars on the ranger's face and neck. On his tunic were the faded colours of his empire and the tarnished silver brooch which clipped his green cloak around his neck bore the emblem of his home region. He adjusted the cloak back into its correct position. Five black encircled stars set embroidered in the centre of it on his back. He untangled himself from the animal and from the snare he used to trap her. Dirt and blood caked his clothing, which he refused to dust himself. He plucked two blue fletched arrows whose shafts were remarkably still intact from the kish's rigid hide. He carefully inspected the steel, armour-piercing bodkins at their points, wiped them clean and replaced them in his quiver neatly. I should find the nest and inspect it for eggs, he thought, scanning the area as he wound his snare around the length of his forearm. I can also get a clue as to what else it's been eating. It may well tell me what brought this foul thing to this level of altitude at this time of year. It seems awfully dry here for this subspecies. Then again, he could say that about most of the dark creatures who had cursed the realms in recent years. They did not belong here anymore. The Kish had itself recently hunted far less challenging prey. Two children from a nearby shire. He took the time to harvest the animal's more valuable parts and wrapped them neatly in canvas sheets. His hands moved efficiently, like an experienced hunter dressing a deer. The family of the victims could make some coin from the oil of its liver or the shimmering proto-mesothorax. Kish eggs themselves would be quite valuable to the right buyer. Butchering it wasn't a pleasant chore, but this creature owed those children a debt this knight intended to deliver. He noticed what appeared to be life returning to the forest. It seemed a bit greener. Small animals chirped and scurried from their hiding places. Everything in life needed balance and it seemed to have returned here, suddenly with the death of this creature. This subtle change was something most folk in the realm could perceive. After all, it had always been this way. Few who live remember where creatures like this came from. Ancient stories were all which remained. This ranger not only had experience in the wild, but he above most had the connection to the darker parts of it. The old parts which had long since left these lands. The ones time had forgotten, but lingered faintly, like a shadow at dusk. His childhood had been filled with nightmarish creatures such as this. That seemed like such a long time ago, however. He wondered if he could ever go back. No, I have so much work to do, he thought wearily.
He cleaned his equipment in a nearby stream and carefully packed it into his saddle. He walked slowly. His muscles ached from the hunt and the subsequent fight with the Kish. He dripped his cloak over his stallion's shoulder, adjusted the billets of the saddle and lingered for a moment, taking a heavy, tired breath. He turned, dropped to his knees and closed his eyes. The fading light of the setting sun was replaced by a yellow glow emitting from the night. He opened his eyes, lowered his shoulders and sighed deeply. The burden and responsibility of magic he did not ask for and did not fully understand compelled him north. He leaned on his sword with the weariness of a man twice his age. Get up, he grunted to himself, rising to his feet. Thank you very much, Johnny. Great reading. And let's go straight to the genii and take her to the top. Um, they're not keen on the blurb. L.A. LA Thomas, not a blurb. Another, another non-blurb blurb. Uh, Max says, not really a blurb, is it? Uh, and he, again, the blurb's too vague. Don't tell us a genre in the blurb. Uh, choose your target age, um, says Hannah. And it is, is very, very uh, broad at the moment. Don't care for the title, says Vicky. Uh, blurb not clear. Pamela says, join Lutopia. We could use an ex-copper on here. <laughs> you know, grammar police, probably. Actually, uh, Ryan's not an ex-copper. He's a, he's a, he's a serving uh, policeman at the moment. Need to figure out the age group, says Annie. Uh, but I'm sure we'll help you with that. I think we will. Uh, James says, blurb should be character, character, character and emotion. Straight into the action, says Vicky. Great. LA, don't forget a hint of the plot, please. Annie, sorry, this opening reads like a lot of other fantasy prologues. Probably does, yes. Claire says, opening needs a wider variety of sentence openers. John issues a reading on narrator, of course. More attention to paragraph splits. It can bump reader out otherwise. Um, if the readers, are, if the rangers are my, uh, main character, says Hannah, give us a name. If not, don't start here. Age, says Annie, bing, is adult. Matt says, wait, is the ranger the perfect killer or is that the dead thing? Uh, small point, but quite important. Pamela, there's your smash bang first paragraph, but don't get into wildlife doc then and you do a bit, don't you? Uh, interesting, I don't really still don't know what a kish is, even a dead one. Don't worry about the exposition. Feed us slowly. Give us the old Gypsy Rose Lee tease. And Hannah says, yep, this, uh, yes, Annie, this is adult. Uh, feels a bit unfocused. Maybe ditch the prologue, says Annie. Not gripping me, Hannah. LA speech marks used about the nest, so he said it, not thought it. Vic is confused. Johnny, I felt... Give the ranger a name so we can engage them. He, f he felt distant. And, and he says, and I, I, I totally agree with that, actually, because I've given you pretty good marks for, for writing graft. And he says, Ryan, you've got pretty good writing chops for a first-time writer. And I think that's right. What did you think, Brian? Okay, I'm afraid I've been rather less enthusiastic uh, about the writing. Um, and for me, it was partly because it was very, he did this, he did that. Mm -hmm. uh, in its approach to describing what was happening, um, it certainly needed quite a polishing. So, for instance, at one point, a sentence suddenly popped into the present tense for everything else with the past tense, which doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, when he had his word described, it didn't seem convincing at all. What some people think, it just felt more like a sort of narrative description. Um, so, I, I, I think. For me, the writing needs quite a bit more work. I mean, that opening sentence was just over-heavy adjectives, rich, dark blood drip from the razor-sharp point of the blade. Mm. It just, just, that just feels like tuning's needed. Like everybody else, the blurb, sorry, didn't work. Um, the title, I think, 
pick one or the other. You know, Ghost of the Farm Drive was a fine title. I really quite like this drag, so I quite like Drive It and the Drag mm. uh, as a title, but both together just feel, uh, felt too much to me. Um, so I, I think there's potential, definitely lots of there's potential. There's potential, here. yeah. Uh, but I do think it needs quite a bit more work. Yeah. And Matt says, within 700 words, we've twice uh, cleaned his equipment a bit much. I don't know, it might be a clean freak. Who knows? What did you think, Andy? Maybe he's an OCD warlock. Just a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with Brian about the title. Um, it's one or the other. And to be honest, your title does not, the, the, the feel of your title does definitely not match the feel of your text. You know, Ghost of the Five Realms, The Rabbit and the Drake, they both sound quite jaunty and sort of, you know, fun. Whereas your your book sort of reads dark, 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 dark. I'm sure Lex like this. Um, yeah, I think your, so. Your text is incredibly dense. And when I first saw it and the opening couple of sentences describing blood, um, my heart sort of sank a bit. Um, but actually, I think there's some good writing here. It screams to me of role-playing games and Skyrim video games. And, and why not? Look, there's a big market for that. You know, games, workshop, books, what have you. Yeah. So, so yeah, why not carry on in that vein? Uh, you know, even with the, the, the second line describing the blood was really nice and economical. I can't remember what it was. I do think there's some nice writing. And at the end of that part, although, again, it's far too dense a paragraph for me, mm. there was that bit where you said it's proof of a god or, or evil in the world. And, of course, whether you believe in God or not, when you're a writer, you are God, and yeah. you are that evil force. Mm. So, so yeah, why not? For me, that sort of gave this some weight. And then you talked about some missing children, which, which kind of gives you a bit of plot impetus. Mm. But I think yeah, it, needs, it needs an edit. It needs paring down. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, but it was better than I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah, and Pamela Joe says, very skillful for a brand-newborn writer, and I agree with that, actually. Uh, but you would benefit from some good beta readers to help with story development and editing. Absolutely, that's right. But lots and lots of promise on that. Let's look at the numbers you've got. You've got 54. Has everyone voted? Yes, they have. You've got a 54. Nothing to be ashamed of at all, Ryan. And hopefully you find the comments... Uh, from us and the Genius Room, helpful and motivational and pointing in the right direction. But now we have to look at the final score. And I think I know who it is. Yes, just by a whisker's breath. It is actually, isn't it? It's Leslie Ann. You've done it, Leslie Ann. Um, and underneath we've got two tie, we've got Sue too, and we've got Catherine as well. So I think it's been a pretty good show, but it does mean we have got one winner who is you Congratulations, Leslie, and you got us off to a nice New Year start. You've eased us into the entire process. I'm very happy you've done that, and I hope you're happy with the feedback, thoughts, comments, reactions, and so on you've got. Remember, we've got three more shows uh, this month, and the winner will go straight into our rather fancy, actually, uh, portal for our chosen publisher, who's had of use to have a good look at. So that's kind of a, an, a yet another method to to get books in front of publishers. So fingers crossed we get some really good submissions the next few weeks and hopefully we'll end up with someone being published. I just want to say thank you very much, guys. Nothing if not avid expert pros. Thank you very much, Brian. Let's put, put the 
uh, the website up again just for a moment there. Because um, I, if any, if any, you know, if you've got a, a slightly passing interest in science, and who can afford not to these days, actually? What's going on in science, good, bad, or indifferent? Um, all the reviews are up there. Popular Science KUK, well worth going to. Thank you very much for doing that, Brian. It's a public service. And Andy, what can I say? So pleased to have you back. Happy, healthy. And we can see you again on pop-up submissions soon, if not on the small screen reporting the news. What a fabulous start to the year. Thank you guys for being with us. Thank you, Genii, for being who you are. Thank you, narrators and everyone else behind the scenes. And guys, let's see you again next week. Hit it! <laughs>